that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly-poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, joined today by my partner in crime, the notorious P.O.B. Pat O'Boyle, and our associate producer coming in from the other side of the window, Ms. Stephanie Longo. Guys, welcome back. we got a great show today and one I'm really excited to share with the audience. You guys can say hello now. <laughs> Is that a prompt? <laughs> yeah, it's a prompt. I'm ready for hello. a prompt to come on. A prompt. Yeah, you could talk. You tell me I talk too much. You have to edit me for hours. Complain. <laughs> and I ask people, did you hear me say no? Did you hear me mention? No, we didn't. <laughs> I, sa- I I did a shout out. No, I never heard that. No, I never heard that. You give me a lot of raw audio. Let's put it. You give me a lot, a lot, a lot of clay to sculpt with. Is that is that, is that what you call it now? Yeah, yes, exactly. It's become very positive. I usually don't hear a positive. Well, I was up to three o'clock in the morning because I called for eight hours. I was up to 5.30 editing you. Well, I'm in a good mood today because I'm looking forward to our guest because he's somebody that I think it's safe to say for the three of us and for many people in the American community, he means a great deal to us as a friend, as a leader, as a mentor. We have the pleasure of introducing a a really phenomenal, I think, game-changing topic today and one that follows up on some of the episodes that we've done talking about our work here at the podcast and, uh, you know, we see our role here uh, from the day Dolores and Anthony founded this thing all the way through our coming on board and where we are today. I think we've always seen it as more than just a podcast. It's a platform for the community, for this great Italian-American family, for the youth of our community, for the future of our community. And I, I don't think there are that many podcasts out there that can say part of what they do is sort of um, philanthropy almost, a social contribution like we have tried to do here for the Italian-American community. And so today we get to have a conversation about a great new initiative, great partnerships, and really a great Italian-American. So I'm very happy to welcome to the show our very, very dear friend, Mr. Basil Russo. So Mr. Russo, welcome aboard at the Italian-American podcast. It's great to be with you all. We're really excited about it. And you've done so much in the Italian-American community for so many years. I want to share with the audience first and foremost how we met and your background, because you are the current president of the Conference of Presidents of Major Italian American Organizations. I think there's 55 organizations represented there. Is that right? Uh, there is. We've grown pretty significantly in the last year or so. We were at about 38 or 39 organizations a year or so ago, and now we're up to 55. And that's a hallmark of your leadership in the community. You've grown that organization through hard work and, and a real dedication to partnership and conviviality. You are also the president of the Italian Sons and Daughters of America, which is a group that we participate in as members. And, and Pat's the regional vice president for New Jersey, I, myself for New York City. I have a six or seven page Italian activity CV. 
<laughs> yes, you do. You, <laughs> you are title heavy in, in all, it's, all fields. It's, I said to my brother, when if I kick off early, you got the obituary all done. <laughs> I don't know why I threw that in, but I just felt like when you call me vice president, it's another it's another line on the obituary. Put <laughs> a four, seven, and nine. But you know my brother's so cheap, he'll probably pay for his debt. <laughs> my brother is dead. Pierre, Pierre. They'll be counting the words president. We could just put P R E S save thirty six cents here. Well, I'll tell you what though, it's safe to say the ISDA is one that we have participated in with a lot of energy and enthusiasm because that's another group that Mr. Russo, you've done a great job of really bringing to a different era. When we first met, I was about two or three years into my term at NIAF. I got a call from you. I had only heard of the ISDA through some friends and a couple of eBay searches and items of uh, historical Italian American value that have popped up for me. And then I get this call and you shared with me the history of the ISDA from its founding in the 30s till today and the growth that it's experienced in the past couple of years. Could you share with the audience just briefly what the ISDA is and where it was and where it's come to? The ISDA is a Italian-American fraternal association. It was formed back in 1930. And uh, as is the case with most Italian-American fraternal groups, it, it peaked uh, shortly after World War II in the 50s when all the GIs came home and everybody was looking for uh, associations to join and socialize with so that they could uh, get their mind off of the horrors of the war. Thereafter, as is the case with most Italian-American groups, uh, they started to wane as time went on, because as the older generations passed on, uh, the younger generations weren't embracing uh, the concept of participating in lodge meetings in a church hall basement any longer. And that has changed, of course, dramatically uh, with the advent of social media over the past 15 years or so. Uh, So we experienced the same losses that other groups were having. And when I got elected president back in 2014, despite the fact that I didn't grow up on social media, had children and grandchildren that did, and they convinced me of the uh, importance of utilizing it in order to build and develop the uh, organization and to reach out to younger people. So we undertook a really elaborate social media campaign about three years ago. Uh, We now have a website and a Facebook page that has a following of 725,000 people. Uh, We are by far the largest organization uh, in the country in terms of a social media following. It's a great website. It's order, O-R-D-E-R-I-S-D-A dot org. Wonderful website, wonderful uh, Facebook page, and uh, we're very proud of it. And it's allowed us to help nurture and grow the organization dramatically over the past three or four years. Uh, So it's become uh, one of the most prominent organizations in the country now, due in large part to the help that I've gotten from yourself and from Pat and from Stephanie and many others in the younger generation who are helping to educate us old timers about what we need to do and how we need to do it in order to uh, reconnect uh, with our children and our grandchildren. I mean, I've been always so amazed by what you have done there and and the people around you have done because, you know, as I know the history, ISDA, interestingly enough, splitting off from the Order Sons of Italy, Osaya, really around Pennsylvania, Ohio, upstate New York, those areas. And I I likened it in the conversation we were having before the show started to, uh, if you're a student of history, the, the Meiji Restoration in Japan, when this massive empire that had been sort of a sleeping giant for centuries decides to throw open the windows, air out the house, and, and make itself known to the outside world, and you know quickly becomes one of the world's leading powers. 
it's sort of like that in the Italian American community because ISDA not only had even then a healthy membership comparative to other sizes, ISDA also offers insurance products to Italian Americans, and you guys have grown that program incredibly. Yeah, John. You know, all of these groups started out back in the 20s and 30s as self-help organizations because, you know, our ancestors didn't have any of the uh, social protections that we have today. No unemployment comp, no workers comp, no social security, nothing to help people. So they formed these little Paisani groups. So if somebody somebody died, the family had money to bury them. If somebody lost a job, uh, the family could get a few dollars to keep food on the table. So it was kind of a a self-help mindset. Well, back in 1960, uh, we decided to take that to another level, and the ISDA formed its own insurance company so we could provide better benefits to our members. That uh, gradually grew to the point where it had about $60 million in assets as of about five years ago, because it was being run as a mom-and-pop type of an operation. Uh, So when I got elected president, I decided that we needed to run it as a professional organization, went out and hired a professional sales and marketing manager, uh, hired professional people to run the insurance operation, and we've grown it to the point where we just surpassed $200 million in assets. Nobody on our board gets paid. We don't have any shareholders that get paid. All the money uh, that is invested either in annuities or insurance policies is there for two purposes. It's there to benefit the members who have invested so that we can pay them much higher interest rates than they'd receive at a bank. And it's there to help us fund programs that help the Italian American community, scholarships, uh, social media, and so on. It's been a real blessing for us. One of the things that we always hit on with the Italian American community is sort of where resources are placed. And certain groups have significant resources that are endowed for programs, many of which were designed long ago. You know, if you understand the business of nonprofit, there's restrictions on a lot of money. So people think that there's these sort of banks of resources, but in reality, a lot of them are restricted to programs that were designed generations ago, and they have a very specific mission. So the ability to be flexible is not necessarily there, but for ISDA, having this resource, you guys can be much more proactive in the community And you've really undertaken initiatives that are significant. And I always, whenever we have these conversations, even in the public forum, I hesitate to talk about your sons and their accomplishments because they have been on the show first and foremost and deserve their own episode as you deserve your own. But one of the programs that you and they undertook when I was at NIAF and we partnered on was the Russo Brothers Film Forum. For those who don't know, Basil's two sons are the famed directors of so many amazing films. As a matter of fact, their newest film is coming out uh, this week, I think. And they have seen this vision as a family, your whole family, to encourage Italian-American filmmakers that are of all ages starting out. And so between the ISDA and, and the Russo brothers and NIAF, I think it was about $150,000 put together to create these grants every year for filmmakers. And the program is booming. You want to talk a bit about that? You know, we became concerned about the fact that as the older generations pass on, we lose the connections, we lose the stories, we lose the beauty of the life experiences of that generation. And how often we'll sit around and say, darn it, why didn't I pull out a tape recorder and ask my my nono or my, my nono questions about where they came from and how they got here and what life was like when they first arrived? And so many of us find ourselves in that position because not, nothing's been documented. Uh, it was passed on by word of mouth. Uh, so uh, we decided that the best way 
to document our history and to preserve it for the benefit of younger generations is to empower filmmakers to go out and make meaningful movies about the Italian-American experience. And so uh, the ISDA, along with the uh, National Italian-American Foundation, partnered uh, with our family to create the Russo Brothers Italian-American Film Forum. And what we do is uh, we give out grants each year to uh, filmmakers to go out and make movies that explore the important aspects of who we are and what our experience has been here in America so that those films will be preserved for generations to come and our stories and our history will, will never die. Uh, so uh, we're very excited about that. It started out, I believe, four years ago. We're in our fourth year. And we got about 70 applications for eight grants that we give out a year. Last year, it had mushroomed to the point that we received over 200 grant application requests from all over the world. Wow. From Italy, from England, from Spain, from uh, we had one from Russia. And, and of course, the vast majority of them come from the U.S., uh, but it, it's very heartening and very exciting to see how this program has caught on. And some very wonderful films have been created as a result of the program. Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, the, the quality of filmmaker, the quality of subject. You and the ISDA have always been very encouraging of this kind of forward thinking storytelling. I mean, the, the website is, as you say, probably the most visited website in Italian America. And it's got amazing blogs and articles and content. If you're a member of the ISDA like we are, you get the newspaper every month. It's great because the newspaper has become sort of a combination of a new school community voice on really interesting topics, almost anthropological, but it's still got a, a little bit of the old school organizational part where, you know, you get to the back and you can see what the lodges are doing and who's doing a ravioli dinner and things like that. So it's, it's really heartwarming for me and everybody who's joined our lodges here in and around New York and New Jersey loves to get it. Another project that I think our audience is familiar with that you've been involved in through your support in ISDA and really came up with the concept was what has become a pretty successful initiative for us, which is our online series, Greetings from Italian America. When you approached Pat and I uh, with the idea that we could create some more interesting video content that would be available through primarily the ISDA Facebook page, we all cooked up this concept of Greetings from Italian America. And I think it's safe to say this has been really well received. It's getting... 150, 200,000 views on the ISDA Facebook page and doing pretty well on our little YouTube that we started afterwards. I think everybody's received it pretty well, right? It, it has been extremely successful. We're very proud of it, but uh, it's, it's all due to the fact that we have some exceptional talent handling the show. You know, the uh, contributions that uh, you and Pat and Rosella make are uh, exceptional. Uh, you, you do a great job. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's very kind. Thank you. Well, we appreciate it. I think you find a way to connect uh, with your audiences in a very interesting, intellectual, yet humorous way, where people enjoy listening to everything you have to say. We really appreciate you inspiring us and, and funding this whole project for us. I mean, it's been a great reaction. We've been, uh, I think Pat said, you know, a couple of times, each of us have been in different cities and been approached by people who have come to know us through the show because the video is so engaging for people. and The beauty is its simplicity. Yeah. That's the star of the show. I mean, we all want to watch that sausage and pepper sandwich. <laughs> sure, we sure do. Everybody wants to see that piece of pizza in Scranton and say, gee, was it good or was it not? Right? Yeah. We all want to ride that cart with you. 
And I have to say too, just popping in as someone who's watched the show and now getting to be a part of Greetings from Italian America, thanks to your episode in Northeast PA, the fact that you're going to places that other Italian American communities might not know about, it meant the world to me that you guys came to Scranton for an episode. Our Italian community doesn't get the street cred that it deserves. And the fact that you actually came out here was wonderful. So I think that you're doing something that is so significant to these smaller, potentially marginalized Italian American communities. You're doing an Italian American exploration almost, and it's very valuable to the community. They'll go anywhere that has a reputation for great Italian American food. That's true. <laughs> That's not even funny. That's true. true. John, true. let me tell you something with John. John loves old vintage Italian restaurants. Mm -hmm. He'll travel the country. If, he, if there's like, you know, established 1923, you got him. Yeah. They could serve me SpaghettiOs. I'd love to. I'd, I'd still go there. Yes, correct. We've eaten a lot of them. We have. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes, we have. We've seen them all. <laughs> some of them are fantastic, and some of them should have closed in 1924. Right if they opened in 1923, but <laughs> lest we digress. But you know what, though? I'm so proud of them for existing. So I just relish the idea. And that leads us really to the topic of today's show, which is more than even our friendship and the partnerships we've built and Mr. Russo's leadership in the community. It's really the initiative that's in front of us now because Stephanie makes a very important point. A lot of the strength of our community just like in Italy, really, is kind of regional and localized. There's so many indigenous Italian-American traditions, recipes, practices, businesses that are still immense staples to a big geographic footprint, even if people have moved out of the enclaves and into suburbs, that people still come back to. And so when we cooked up Greetings from Italian America, obviously we were able to start in our own backyard, but the idea was to cast that net really wide and share with people, hey, this business is here or this feast is here or, you know, this club is still going strong or this Italian American parish has, you know, an interesting tradition to shed a light on unknown but thriving Italian American institutions. And that spirit is born out of what's always been important to me, even from my time at NIAF to Pat. That's how we became friends. Mr. Russo, when he came out of the ISDA's longtime slumber, you know, you, you got elected to be the head of the Conference of Presidents, which has been around since the 70s. And it was very shortly thereafter when the pandemic hit, I got a call from you saying, hey, we've got to do something for these feasts that aren't going to happen. And the conversation, of course, became, you know, ISDA, Pat, uh, Stephanie, our team, and, and some of the ideas we wanted to do in terms of uh, identifying and preserving and creating an internet database. And we did do an episode in the past in the archive about the vision for it, but then it didn't happen. And it didn't happen for a very good reason, because the idea started to mushroom into something larger and more significant, which leads us to the conversation today, which is this new initiative called Italian America Online, which has happened and is happening right now and has some serious growth in the future. So if you would just share a little bit with everybody, what is Italian America Online? And what is the, the first and foremost goal of what's been created here? Let me back up a step and give you a little bit of background on the Conference of Presidents because that's the foundation on which the uh, Italian America Online is built. Uh, the Conference of Presidents of Major Italian American Organizations is a group that's headquartered in New York. Uh, we currently have about 55 of the largest and most important Italian American organizations throughout the country uh, participating in the, in the, uh, in the group. Uh, the 
Conference of Presidents is going to do something that has never, ever occurred before in our community. We are going to hold the first ever National Italian American Summit meeting, and we're inviting every Italian American organization across the U.S. to participate in the meeting. It's going to be held Saturday, February the 20th, and there are three important topics that are going to be addressed during that meeting. The first topic will deal with a fragmented Italian America. And what I mean by that is other groups have been much more effective at promoting their agendas throughout our country because they have been better organized than our community has been. It's time for Italian Americans to establish a sense of national unity among our people and among our organizations so that we can speak with a louder and more influential voice in our efforts to preserve our heritage, our values, and our customs. So that's one area that we're going to focus on during the course of the meeting. The second area we want to focus on is connecting to younger generations. Um, you know, the biggest similarity that all of our groups have is our biggest weakness. We're all losing touch with our younger generations. Our inability to effectively use social media, you know, has detached us from the people that we need in order to survive our young people. So we need to initiate programs that allow us to reconnect with our younger generation. And the uh, third area that we want to address uh, during the course of this national summit meeting is the fight for Columbus. And we need to find ways to effectively address that. And the best way to do it is to approach the issue uh, in a unified manner. And in order to do that, we need to bring everybody in the country together. So the thrust of the meeting we're going to be holding is to announce the fact that we've created a new website called italianamericaonline.com. And it's a new website which was created to unite all Italian Americans and all Italian American organizations throughout the country. We want to create a sense of national unity in order to preserve our heritage. Uh, and we need to do that by getting our community and our organizations to register themselves and their email addresses on Italian America Online so that we have a data bank that we can rely on when we need to mobilize our community in order to work together on issues that benefit all of us. Uh, so we're hopeful that this data bank will grow quickly and rapidly, and in a very short period of time, we'll not only have tens of thousands of names and e email addresses of Italian Americans, but hundreds of thousands. And we'll have hundreds upon hundreds of organizations that will be participating as well, so that we'll now have a, a means, a vehicle of effectively working together with one another when we need to join hands and take a national stand on whatever issue it might be uh, that's going to uh, uh, influence our community. There are a lot of issues that come up throughout the country that adversely affect our community. Uh, one is playing itself out in, in New York City right now with uh, the City University of New York. Uh, the uh, chancellor uh, recently uh, intimated that he would no longer support the designation of Italian-Americans as an affirmative action group at CUNY. We got that designation back in the 1980s. And as a result, we have a wonderful Italian-American studies program at the school. Uh, but in recent years, the funding for the professors involved with that program has diminished. Uh, the courses have diminished. And now they're talking about abolishing the designation of Italian-Americans as an affirmative action group as well. 
And we need to stand up and be very, very vocal about that because we have as much right to demand that our heritage be protected and that courses be taught about our history and our customs and our contributions, as is the case with any other group. You know, every group that came to this country did something meaningful that they justly have a right to be proud of. We've all made contributions to America's collective culture. And we want to be certain that the contributions that Italian Americans made, the sacrifices that our grandparents and our parents made, and the contributions that our communities made to this country are never forgotten. We want to be certain that they're memorialized and that they're addressed in, Ital in uh, American history books uh, so that our, our culture can live on and that we can have an influential role in defining America's culture moving forward. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For those in our audience who want to hear more about the conversation on Columbus and his legacy and the holidays and statues, we did a multi-part series this October that was very well received. It's in our archives, Conversations on Columbus. But the thing that's really interesting to me is like when you look at the CUNY example, the City University of New York, like you say, we were given the designation as an affirmative action group at a time when we really were a group in need. If you look at Nick Pledge's work in, in, 19, in the 1970s in, in magazines like New York Magazine and all of his writing uh, and kind of punditry, he did the numeric research. We were vastly underrepresented in university faculties, we in some universities like my own alma mater, Fordham, at the time, our community made up something near 60% of the student body and like 0.06% of the faculty. There was very few professors, very few classes. Maybe our community's made it to a point now where we don't think of ourselves as a protected class. And that's that's good. That's part of the process is, is, is the integration and the arrival as Americans. But to have something taken away for no reason which has been a great and fruitful program for us and one of the best Italian-American studies programs in the country and the Calandra Institute and all these things that we have, to see them defunded, it is sort of a, a really painful and, in, in, in my mind, disrespectful approach to our community because we're not asking for anything new. We want to just preserve what we have, which has been fruitful and productive and, and important to our community. And, you know, look, I know there's many opinions on an issue like Columbus, but an issue like this why should we lose programs that are good? They serve people. A good portion of the student body that takes them is not Italian-American. They learn about our history. It's so, you know We talk about things like mafia stereotypes and all these things, and then we say, hey, let's be proactive and, and show who we really are. And then we have institutions like this that do that, and to have them sort of threatened for no reason other than budgetary cuts and a lack of concern for our community from outside entities, that is exactly why an initiative like this Italian America online needs to happen for the future because we need to say, hey, wait a minute, there are certain things that are not up for debate and we need to be unified for it. And, you know, the really interesting thing about the initiative is there are so many groups out there that don't know each other, don't interact with each other. They're doing great work, institutions, museums, nonprofits with amazing missions. And to bring them all together is really unprecedented. I guess part of this was was based out of your 
efforts to grow the geographic footprint of the Conference of Presidents, which had always been sort of limited to the Northeast and the Eastern Seaboard. And one of those groups that has joined on is the Italian American Renaissance Foundation out of New Orleans, led by Frank Maselli through his staff's work and research. I think the first time we all met, there was like six, 700 groups already that they had compiled. This thing has begun to grow really, really fast. I know, Stephanie, you, you are the engine behind all of it and getting everybody online in, in a few weeks' time. We've already put together 1,000 groups or something, right? It's like 1,200 groups already, and it seems to still be growing. We get emails forwarded to us with different group names on a regular basis, and it's a moment of pride to see how many organizations there are in the United States that maybe we didn't know about. And it makes me as an Italian American and as somebody who works in the field, very excited because you're hearing about how maybe the organizations are losing membership due to young people not joining. But the fact that there's so many organizations gives me a lot of hope for our community because there's people that are still so tied to their ethnic background that they want to be a part of something. And I think that this initiative is going to allow these organizations to be a part of something even greater and to just really do amazing things for our community. And I mean, for those in the audience who participate in Italian American organizations, if you know of Italian American organizations that you may not participate in locally, you know, the the beauty of this podcast is as Pat always says, we get to be the NPR of Italian America, the digital piazza. So obviously our, our audience is spread geographically from a national audience. So if you're out there and we get so many emails and anytime we do episodes or conversations in our new neighborhood Facebook group, people that are in areas that you don't think of as particularly Italian American will write us and say, hey, how do we unite? Where can we participate? We have this group, you know, it's a hundred years old or we started it two years ago, but it's got a thousand members. So if you're out there, and you know of a group, you need to sign up and get that group into this registry. And you are welcome to participate as a representative of that group in the February 20th meeting. Stephanie, can you tell the audience how they can send us this information, identify where the groups are, and if they want to participate as representatives, how can they participate? Sure. So through Basil and his team, we've really spent a lot of time working on the development of the ItalianAmericaOnline.com website. And if you go on the website, there are several places where people can sign up. It actually has a place for organizations and for individuals to sign into a form. So this way they are able to give us their contact information. This goes no further than us. So the team that's responsible for Italian America Online, we are not sending this out to telemarketers or anybody, you're not going to get spammed. It's just for us internally. So we could then put that into an email system for people to then be reached out to that way. We're collecting individuals just in case there's somebody that's an individual who represents an organization, or if there's an organization where say someone off the street knows that this organization exists, but really doesn't know the contact information that goes into that form. And then we will then take on the charge through our wonderful intern, Ryan Kerr, who is doing the background research on these organizations. So we could find a contact person and try to find their online presence. We also have just an about us section on there so people can understand the project. There's a great video that Joe Manella did that really outlines 
the Conference of Presidents and just some more information and just really a lot of ways for people to connect with the Conference of Presidents with Italian America Online. And of course, whenever we release an episode of the Italian American Podcast, we do send out our own e-blast and people often respond to those e-blasts. And I read every single one of those emails. (laughs) So if someone's having a hard time getting into the Italian America Online information, just send me the information and I'm more than happy to make sure that it gets to the right place. We want to make sure that we cast our net wide and catch as many of these organizations as humanly possible. I would rather see duplicates than somebody be left out. Yeah, that's the call to action for this episode and for this initiative. If you're out there in the audience, if you're participating in an organization, even if you know of one, you know, I I guess I'm like an Italian American truffle dog and that everywhere I go in the country, if I spot a sign, you know, Italian American club or a clubhouse or, you know, brick and mortar place where it goes out of control, <laughs> out of control, I do. drive off the road. I do. I get excited. He'll hunt it down. eBay should have his picture hanging on a wall. <laughs> There's I'm... nobody who can find stuff on eBay like John. I'm doing it. I'm doing good work. Yes. In 1889, there was a coronation of Marono de Mont, Novi Value, a pontifical coronation, and there was a metal straw. And I saw it on an auction like 10 years later in a Google search. Yeah. There's like two medals in the world. John found it. <laughs> you should start a business called I'm going to find it on eBay. <laughs> Whatever you need, he's going to, you really, I, and they don't, you don't need algorithms, and you, I don't know, you have your own special non techie way to get this. That part of preserving Italian American history is so important to me. And I think the audience knows I'm an obsessive collector of the artifacts of our experience. I was actually bragging about Stephanie yesterday because she has a similar focus on this kind of stuff through our partnership with ISDA and in the Greetings from Italian America footprint. Now we're creating another show to kind of go through some of the highlights of my collection because some of it's really unique stuff that tells an interesting part of the story we want to share with the audience. So when we were in Scranton filming the next episode of Greetings from Italian America, we did a side trip to an antique center to look for stuff because Scranton's got a huge Italian-American population. And Stephanie, so the whole time we were filming, she was in this corner with a basket of black and white photos. And she shared with me that she digs out these old photos if they're remotely identifiable or she suspects they're Italian-American or, or some interesting history. She buys them up and participates in an online group that helps identify who's in these ancient photos and return them to the families, which I think is amazing. How do they do that? I have no idea. She does it. It's amazing. But how's it happen? It's so much fun. So you scan the photo and you post it in the group and you give a little bit of the background information on it. And I will tell you, because this was probably my favorite story out of the trip to on and on when John and Joe and I went there. So there was this picture of a baby that was in the box and I wasn't going to buy it because it really wasn't an Italian American related one, but I'm a girl. I got so obsessed with the baby. He's so cute. I can't just leave them here and that kind of a thing. And he turned out to be a serial killer. (laughs) No, no, it's actually a really crazy story. So I posted it. Turns out that this baby grew up to be a very prominent Monsignor in the Diocese of Scranton. He actually was the pastor of the parish that my mother grew up in. So my mother knew him. So how did nobody, how did it wind up in the basket? 
I, we have no idea how it wound up in the basket, but then after all of us in this group really gathered together and did some of the research on this guy, come to find out he's actually the great uncle of the husband of somebody that I work with, with the University of Scranton Small Business Development Center. So I was able to return that photo to the family. And I went back that weekend to go through the box again, and I found this beautiful picture of Julius LaRosa in the box. A real picture of Julius LaRosa, like yes. a fan picture. No, a real picture. Roy Goomba. How many people do not know who he is? This is scaring me. We probably have listeners who do not know who he is. Well, Julius LaRosa, for Goomba. those who don't. Yeah, Roy Goomba. <laughs> that should be the cutout of today's yep. episode. That would be. <laughs> yes, we should leave with Roy Goomba. That's my all-time favorite Italian-American song. Is it really? Yep. You know what I want to do with this? This is a great thing. And don't laugh because you know this is totally serious. We find Italian saint statues, and we're trying to find where they're from. Yeah. Yeah. Brendan and Anthony Shilia have one, and it's definitely from some little town in Sicily. But we should post that. But that's the point of this whole thing, right? It's like if the ISDA's got a million people online, and our we're an army. We're an army. And if we in a good sense of the term, we are united. Absolutely. Yeah, and like like Mr. Russo said at the very beginning, right? We talk about the film forum. How many of us wish we had said to our grandparents or great grandparents, hey, get on the camera, tell the story? How many of us wish at the age when you don't know, you just said, hey, can we go through family photos and identify them? Can we, could, you know, what we wouldn't do, how many Italian American family photographs? But then, to be fair, my grandmother said, what do you ask all these questions for? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, let, let's not blame ourselves. I get it. But you know what? It's so important, too, to not lose these things. Sure, but some of the people are not cooperative. Some of the elders of our community can be a little difficult. (laughs) When they are cooperative, it's amazing because when my Aunt Jenny was cleaning out a closet, she found an audio cassette from 1967 of her and my great-grandmother singing songs in Guardiers. Wow. And I was able to get that digitally remastered. Yeah, you sent that to me. You emailed that to me, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And I could hear my great-grandmother's voice. And she said to me, my aunt said to me, I know that you will take care of it because I know that you care about these things. So I think that some people in the older generation know who the members of the younger generation are who actually care. You want to hear something? Somebody my mother knows, they had like the grandmother died and they had all pictures from the turn of the century. They threw them out with family pictures. Uh, they said, know. we don't know who any of these people are. So they just, I was just stunned. They just threw them all out. But, but think about that. How many family photos, how many community photos end up in garbages? Right. But that's not our listener. We know everybody. No. You're all hoarding family photos. That's why you listen to us. <laughs> but that's the point, right? That's exactly. We're that crowd. I've got an entire bag of people I'm just trying to research. I mean, there's at least 20 photos in here of people that I want to try to reunite with their family photos because it's so important. But that's the digital piazza model. That's why when a group like ISDA that's been around for 90 years goes out and puts all this time, money, and effort into a web portal or you know, Dolores and Anthony create this show or any of the initiatives that are going on now, first and foremost, our generation is clearly interested based on self-identification numbers, based on censuses, based on their participation in online groups. There's so many Facebook groups with hundreds of thousands of members about Italian heritage. The idea is to unite all of those things now, not necessarily to impose on their individuality, but to share these kind of things because A, it's things like the CUNY issue where the community can and should unite to support our future, but B, this kind of personal stuff. I mean, you look at the time, money, and effort that goes into online genealogy and DNA research, and there's an interest and a curiosity there because I believe in a world where we're being 
divided in some ways by social media and the, the sort of me-focused culture, people are hungry for something greater than themselves and their background and their heritage, their family traditions. There's a big effort to reclaim them. So bringing together right now, you know, 1,200 Italian American groups and in the future, as many as there are in the country, could you imagine just the ability to share these kind of things with people? You know, I remember meeting a young filmmaker in my neighborhood in Brooklyn who found footage from the 50s, color footage of our feast of Our Lady of the Snow, August 5th, and shared it with me. And there's my great uncle marching down the street with the society. And I never would have had that. Or my aunt was able to rescue footage of my family celebrating after World War II. They all had a big cookout up in the mountains and this kind of heirloom stuff. It's there and people find things and we get to share them. So I think that's why we do this show, why you, Mr. Russo, and ISDA have focused so much on the online presence and now this project. See, but this is why I think that the Italian community has to re-gauge how they measure engagement. I agree. Yeah. Because you might have someone who's listening to the podcast and is the one who's gathering the family photographs and documenting who's in there, but they may not belong to a brick and mortar organization where they're paying dues. They may be in an Italian American Facebook group where there's 10,000 people and there's no dues and there's no leadership per se, but everyone's posting a million things a day. That might be the new way that we measure membership. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how the actual organizations turn that into participation, but everyone's crying that the community is dying. It's just looking in the wrong place. Yeah. The community is very much vibrant if you're looking online and in all the right places. And that's what frustrates me. And, and because they don't see where the transition is going to a telematic virtual piazza, I keep telling you, like, we're going to be in the virtual, the, the internet is the virtual piazza, the, the place where we gather. If we're not looking there, we're going to incorrectly pronounce the death of the Italian-American community, which is not the case. Let the games begin. Mediaset Italia has the most exciting, high-octane, full-drama game shows and reality TV this fall. With new seasons of Celebrities Stuck Together 24-7 on Grande Fratello Vip. Testing your smarts on Chi Vuole Essere Milionario with Jerry Scotti and the biggest talents in Italy discovered with two CK Valles. Plus, more trivia tests on Caduta Libera and important stories and exclusive interviews with live Nonella D'Urso. DirecTV has the Italian TV you love. Get Mediaset Italia a la carte for $10 a month plus taxes or the Italian Direct Package for $20 a month plus taxes. Visit directtv.com forward slash Mediaset or call one 1- 877-912-2702 to learn more and subscribe. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package. For new customers, equipment lease, activation, early termination, equipment non-return, and other charges and restrictions apply. Call 1-877-912-2702 or visit att.com for full details. Well, I mean, look, uh, Mr. Russo, maybe you could share with us a little bit, coming from the perspective of a community leader for many, many years who's seen these changes. I'm sure when you started participating, the lodge was still the lodge, and it was the weekly meeting, and everybody took for granted that it would always be there. I think it's safe to say this new online-based participation model, the reaction from older generations has been pretty great. I think it reinvigorates everybody, right? 
Absolutely. The problem our organizations have had is the fact that so many of them are led by older generation Italian-Americans who weren't raised on social media, didn't understand social media, and as a result, didn't understand how to utilize it to their advantage and to the organization's advantage as well. Uh, But now um, uh, we're educating our community as to what they need to know to be able to effectively communicate. Uh, I think that uh, uh, we are uh, now uh, at a point where we're able to do so. Uh, We're able to communicate with younger people. For example, what we're doing in the ISDA is, uh, you know, the older generation loved going to the lodge meeting uh, every month, uh, you know, in the basement of the church hall or at the local uh, union center in the community where they would meet with their friends and talk and socialize and have the meeting and enjoy themselves for a few hours until next month's meeting. And they'd plan their social events around uh, those activities. Uh, Obviously, that's not part of the uh, mindset of younger people today. They enjoy socializing online and in other ways uh, other than attending brick and mortar meetings. Uh, So we've begun promoting virtual lodges online where individuals can get together from many different areas of the country and perhaps get 25 or 30 individuals together and form their own lodge or group online where they communicate with each other and uh, uh, share stories about their families and their heritage and what's important to them, uh, why they choose to embrace the heritage. You know, we all have different reasons for wanting to get involved, but I, I think probably the most common common reason is, is that many of us have ties to the older generations. And in my case, I have a very strong affection for my grandparents who were all immigrants. And being involved with Italian American groups is my way of honoring their memories, of letting them know that I appreciate all the sacrifices and hardships that they endured for myself and my children to make a better life for us, and that uh, I want to be respectful of their memories. And the best way to do that is to engage and participate in Italian-American organizations and groups that preserve the values that they instilled in us and the customs that they brought to us and the heritage that they left for us. It's a way of saying, I love you. Thank you. That's beautifully said. Uh, You know, I was thinking as you were speaking, do you think that this pandemic has actually helped us to move in that virtual direction? I mean, do you think that, quote unquote, old timers have become more comfortable with this virtual participation? I think that as horrific as the pandemic has been, there are many benefits that were forced upon people as a result of it. There's no doubt in my mind that it has forced families to become more cohesive again. Uh, People are spending so much more time together in their home with their children. People are having dinner together again, having conversations around the dinner table again. Uh, It's kind of forced us to revert back to an older and sweeter lifestyle that existed when we were all younger. So I think it's, it's forcing families to reconnect. And that's a wonderful thing uh, because quite frankly, families were becoming very, very fragmented in in this country. Uh, So there are good things that will come about as a result of of the impositions that were forced upon us. 
and hopefully we'll all benefit from those and carry them forward once the pandemic is over with. And I think it's really interesting to watch how the older generation has familiarized themselves with the kind of technology. I mean, look, even for the show, right? Until the pandemic hit, one of our efforts was to really fix the sound quality issues that we had. So we built this beautiful studio. We'd all come in every week. We'd do shows together with the host. If we had a guest, they would come in. I didn't know Zoom existed until this thing hit. Now we do our shows on Zoom. That continues to become a better and more reliable technology. So now we we opened up uh, the ability to have decent uh, sound quality with interviews all over the world. I look at my wife, you know, when this thing hit, her 93-year-old grandmother was in the house alone and we didn't know if anybody could visit her. So we went online, we bought her an iPad, we had it dropped off at her door, we talked her through it on the phone. She now loves this iPad. She FaceTimes everybody. So we get FaceTimes from Grandma Ledda all the time. She's always checking in. How, see, this is a 93-year-old immigrant who has now just completely changed her interaction with her family. Who makes great, what are those things called? The Nietzsche? Nietzsche, oh, Mamma Mia, those are the best, yeah. She makes fantastic Nietzsche. They're like chestnut pancakes or Luca. Yeah, they're delicious. With regatta in them? Yeah. They're very simple, but they're fantastic. That's an episode of uh, Greetings we have to film. We have you to gotta show. you got to connive me another invite when this is all over. <laughs> My in-laws <laughs> love you. Avocado. They call like, you avocado. You know, with the little frying pan. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's cool. Can yeah. I come out for this yeah. one? Yes, everybody come. Oh, they're so good. They I mean, are so these neat. I'm sorry. They'll be cut out. Don't worry. You'll no, no, no. I, did I, you I, hear I, me talk about the Nietzsche? What Nietzsche? No, no never, did you hear me say hello? No, no. That that was edited out. I'm sorry. You can't cut out your in-laws, Pat. That's a, that's rule number one. You, uh, God bless you with fantastic in-laws. I have the best. I have the best. You hit the lottery. And my father-in-law listens to the, the show. I did. Does he really? Yeah, he does, yeah. He's the he's best. He's a fantastic man. God oh, bless him. I love him to he's death. He's the absolute greatest. Big shout out to my father-in-law. And I know that now I threw out the Nietzsche. I'll bring the Sanguinach. We'll have a Sanguinach Nietzsche party. Yes, you owe them Sanguinach. I keep yeah, telling them yeah. about it. Now I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, I got the Wooly now for the, the Nietzsche. Okay. Thanks. We'll get him. I'll make sure we get him. If you're out there and you make Nietzsche. Yeah, I'd love to know. who. If you're Tuscan and you make chestnut crepe Nietzsche, that, I'd love to know that. They're one of my favorite things. You can drop them off. <laughs> Send them to Pat. I'll make them, but I don't have the iron. You All right, he'll cut this out, I know. All right, keep going, John. No, I mean, look, but think about that, right? Like, think about this 97-year-old woman. I was reading an interesting article about home sales in the pandemic and this idea of people leaving the cities and what kind of homes are selling or what kind of homes are they looking for. And the really interesting component was a lot of families now are looking, instead of these open concept floor plan houses, they're actually looking for more compartmentalization for a couple of reasons. It was saying first and foremost, work from home space. But secondly, because multiple generations are starting to see the potential of living together. Because if you have something like this, and when you think about your kind of needs and who you want to take care of, you're forced to recognize like, you would love to have your grandparents in the house so you can take care of them and they're there and they help with the grandkids during the week because most people are two income families now and working. So in some ways, that model that we had in the enclaves of everybody in the tenement building, that's even being re-explored, not just in our community, but beyond in the country because like these online platforms, like this initiative, Italian America Online, there's so many ways, we, we say it on the show all the time, it's not about preserving heritage which to me, preservation has the anthropological sense of ossification. It's about evolving it forward. It's about keeping sight of the sacred and not focusing on the profane, understanding that the goal 
is that family time. It's the best qualities of what our culture has been and our traditions are. You don't have to do things exactly like they used to be done. You can evolve them forward, but you have to have a consciousness and an awareness. So just like we, we fight here on the show and all of these online platforms, you're celebrating history, but you're also teaching it in a new and modern way to younger generations who may not even know that they want to reclaim it or move it forward. So I think that these initiatives allow everybody to do that. So before we sign off, Mr. Russo, one more invitation to everybody out there to participate. Can you just share the details of how they could find us and when these meetings are occurring and, and who's encouraged to participate? We are uh, hosting the first ever National Italian American Summit meeting. We're inviting every Italian American organization across the United States to participate. The meeting is going to be held online on Saturday, February the 20th. And um, we've sent uh, invitations out to over 1,200 Italian-American organizations throughout the country that we've been able to identify to date. If your organization has not received an invitation, uh, please uh, send an email along to, uh, uh, to John or Stephanie, and they will be happy to provide your organization with the appropriate invitation so that you can participate in that meeting. It's going to be a precedent-setting meeting something that has never, ever occurred before in our community. Very important. So we want every organization in the country to participate. And we welcome your participation. So please make the effort to join us on, on February the 20th. That's going to be a great one. And again, you can go to ItalianAmericaOnline.com. You can sign up. You can sign up as an individual. You can send us a tip. We will search out the organization. Even if you suspect they're there, let us know. You might have heard about something, you know, anything to help us do the work because the thing I love about this initiative is between Frank Maselli and his team in New Orleans and between the ISDA and the Conference of Presidents and between our team and Stephanie, the most amazing dynamic Italian-American search engine in the world, we are not just accepting recommendations or tips, we're actually doing the work to search them out and find who we can. So it's both reactive and proactive and I think it's going to grow into the most important forum for Italian America for the 21st century and beyond, because there's so much good to share, like we've discussed in this episode. And uh, we just look forward to your participation. So please don't hesitate. Let us know who's out there and how they're participating. And and we'll do our work to build an ever more united community. So uh, Mr. Russo, thanks for coming on. Let me say this publicly from all three of us, from Roe, Dolores, and Anthony. Thank you for all you've always done for the community, but also for us to support our platform here and, and our project. And 100%. Yes, yeah. definitely. It's a debt we'll never pay back. So thank you very, very much. I just want to add that a big part of our Italian heritage involves our, our concept of extended family. People who aren't necessarily our own blood, but people who we love and respect as if they were part of our family. And let me say publicly right now that the three of you are and have always been extended family to me. Uh, I I respect the outstanding job that you all do. Uh, You're a huge asset to the Italian-American community, and we're proud to support you in whatever way we can in the future. Thank you. And and the sentiment is shared by us as well. Absolutely. That's the whole Gumbara. That's what a Gumbara is. That's what people don't. Yes. People ask me what this stuff means. It's basically a non-blood relative. Mm-hmm. That's why I love the word Paisani. Like I always start our episodes or even the greetings from Italian America with Paisani because I think I wrote about it when I was at NIAF. The idea that to be a Paisani means to share a Paese. And the Paese in Italian linguistically 
is a nebulous concept. It doesn't have to mean necessarily your town. It could mean the greater area. So it's, it's people who share a place, who share roots, who share a territory, even if that is a virtual one or a spiritual one at this point. So I, I love the word Paisani. I think that that really says everything. You can have good Paisani and bad Paisani. <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> because you could have Paisani who are your best friends or who are your worst enemies. Of course. <laughs> Just by sharing a town does not a friend make. <laughs> but that's what makes us us. As my grandma used to say, Aratsanost. Aratsanost. That's our Aratsanost. Well, you know, Ratsa, for people who are out, because I, as I engage more and more with listeners, I'm beginning to see, well, the teaching end of what we're doing with this. Ratsa is the Italian word for race, but it's also the word for breed. Oh. But it's also the word for group. That's interesting. So some people say, well, why is it sounds like in a very, in a, in a time in American history when these are charged words, Ratsa Nostra basically means our tribe. Very true, yeah. Our, our tribe with a collective genetic component. Yeah. Absolutely. When they curse people in Abudan, they say, do a tutta you and your whole race. Yeah. Meaning you, your family, your cousins, the town you came from, the guy who fixed your car. So they curse you and your entire tribe, <laughs> which shows how much <laughs> what family, how important family is to us. And I mean, in Abudan, they curse your dead relatives, your yeah. living relatives, and relatives who are yet to come. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I just learned That's all true. the Neapolitan curses like that in my oh, Neapolitan really? class. Yes, I we did. Could do and a whole was... episode on that. That's what my <laughs> it was sure quite could. fun. Yeah, that's that was like death con for my grandmother got really angry. She'd smack her face and start shooting. Them I out. love it. Pat and I bought a book on Neapolitan curses when we were in Naples. I never. It was. It, it could have been an encyclopedia. It was one of the thickest books we ever got. Oh, I love it. Some of the greatest moments of my life. I like the curse that's to you and your chestnuts. You, right? No, your mother's oh, chestnuts. That's your mother's chestnuts. Yeah, but I could see. But it was an anthropological work. It was like a Harvard press. Yeah. It's like, let us break down why you were cursing your mother's chestnuts, right? So the whole <laughs> very detailed. Who we are is very much collective and, and tribe-based, and we just we flourish with each other. So this is a great initiative to do that. I've been saying my whole career in Italian America – Sharing blood makes you related, but sharing values makes you family. So sending me Nietzsche makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sending Pat food, great way to be part of the family. So we hope you join our family, join this initiative. February 20th, it's five days from when this airs. Never too late to sign up. And if you can't figure it out online, please reach out to us. We're really happy to have everybody. So from all of us at the Italian American Podcast, from this familia to yours, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, goodbye. Ci va suonare. Chi si suona? Un friscaletto. E come si suona? Un friscaletto. Un friscaletto. Tipiti, tipiti, ta. Hey, goodbye. Ci va suonare. Chi si suona? Un saxofono. E come si suona? Un saxofono. Tu 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 tu, un saxofono, un friscaletto, tipiti tipiti ta. Hey, goodbye.